welcome, dear listeners. I'm Shabha Bhatt. And I'm Asra Malik. And we'll be your hosts for this all-new episode of Carrero and Beyond, a podcast series brought to you by Panacle, the Department of BA Program, Miranda House. Today we have with us the makers of Hello Hallyu, published by The Swaddle. This is a project that takes a deeper look at the phenomenon called Hallyu the term describing the popularity of Korean entertainment and cultural products overseas. Their podcast series attempts to explore how the mega wave of Korean pop culture captivated Indian fans and forever changed their ideas of gender, fashion and romance. We welcome on board the hosts and superfan journalists, Nirupama V and Sadhana Chaturvedala. Currently working as a product manager, Sadhna takes a keen interest to explore technology, culture, and the business of Hallyu. Her journey as a fan started in late 2016, and since then, she has been invested in conducting extensive research on the effects of Hallyu, fandom, and the communities that have sprung around it. Nirupama is a research and communication professional in Bangalore and has been relishing the Korean fandom world for nearly a decade now. She truly believes that years of immersing herself in Korean dramas, watching love, conflicts, grit, and observing character developments has made her a better person. We are extremely honored to have you both on the show today, Sadhana Nurupama. Very Thank happy so to be here. Having. Okay, so our first question is for you, Nirupama. How is running a podcast series different from mainstream journalism? Given the merits and challenges of both, what would you prefer more? Hey, thank you so much for having us here. Um, Yeah, I think this is a very interesting question. Um, So mainstream journalism and podcasting, I think they're very, very different. Um, For one, what we have as mainstream journalism today, it, it does not give you a lot of space to create long form content to um, do in-depth stories um, and yeah, really explore the creative sides of storytelling. There are some alternative um, outlets that exist, but you know, within um, the borders of mainstream journalism, it becomes very difficult to really um, be ex- you know, exploratory with the kind of stories that you want to tell. Um, and another thing is um, interestingly, when compared to all the other mediums that exist right now, right, um, be it reading or videos, um, podcast actually has um, the longest attention span. Um, so usually people watch uh, videos average on an average up to only one or two minutes. And uh, it might be reducing with the popularity of reels these days. And um, that's the same case with reading as well. It's a couple of minutes, I think, or maybe five minutes max. Um, but for podcasting, uh, podcasts, usually people who listen to podcasts uh, are at least tuned in um, for 15 minutes or so. And that's a huge difference. So it also gives you the opportunity to really like speak to your audience um, because you have more of their undivided attention and also the nature of it, right? Like you're listening to um, the people, like you're listening to their voices, their hesitation, their intonation. Um, I think that's really, it, it makes it a much more um, closer uh, medium uh, where you're directly reaching out to your audience. 
Um, so I think because of these reasons, I have really come to love uh, podcasting as a medium. And that is also the reason why we um, took the chance to make this podcast when an opportunity presented um, itself. So, yeah. That's actually quite interesting to know. And uh, moving ahead, do you both see K-dramas as cult classics a few years down the lane? If yes or no, then why? Well, I would say that they're already cult classics. <laughs> Being in the you know, K-drama fandom. Um, so, you know, what do you mean in general, right? If we just, if we're talking, if we take a step back and we talk about what a cult classic. So what do you mean by a cult classic? Now, with Netflix and, you know, all of these platforms, the the longevity of any, any series is very short-lived. You talk about it for a day, two days, maybe a week, and then it's it's done. But within the K-drama fandom, there are dramas that, you know, really people speak about for years on end. Um, and because they're becoming more accessible, I think, uh, I, I would say that they're absolutely cult classics even now. And if you haven't really taken a chance to watch them, you should. <laughs> That's my take. Great. Nirupama, anything that you would like to add on this? Yeah, so, um, you know, in my experience, when I started off as a fan of K-dramas, um, which was a long time ago, um, it was very different. Very few people actually watched K-dramas and, you know, very few would recognize. And even those who did recognize, um, you know, the idea of K-dramas, the concept of K-dramas, um, you know, they would uh, stereotype it and be like, uh-huh, it's like, it's going to be a certain way. I don't think it's for me. That's sort of like a... Um, that was the general approach. Um, but given how um, so many K-dramas are now um, so instantly recognizable by a wide range of audience, um, you know, regardless of their age, where they are placed, like geographically, you know, scattered across India, uh, given all of that, I think it's definitely like, um, especially um, dramas like Crash Landing on You and now Squid Games, um, they've become very universally recognizable. So it is fitting to call them cult classics. Yeah, that's true. Even uh, my sister is into K-dramas and K-pop a lot. So I, she, when she started, you know, her journey as a fan, I could see that people around her would, you know, stereotype even the 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 things that she are consuming so but now it is very well received given like as you said something about squid game so moving yeah. ahead uh this is a kind of a follow-up question so do you both think that this that squid game and parasites are landmarks of the korean wave in india and even the west due to their social significance or their troops of storytelling also, is the content now being produced and pushed forward more for the quote-unquote global audience, given that OTT platforms like Netflix are investing immensely for their distribution? Yeah. So, um, you know, when it comes to Squid Game, Parasite, um, calling them landmarks of the Korean wave, um, I don't know, I would hesitate a little bit because if you just look at the term itself, Korean wave, right? 
um and we talk about this a little bit in our podcast which is that the hallyu right which is your k-pop k-dramas um even k-movies or fashion it has been a very significant part of india right if you take the northeast of india not just one right. state across yeah. multiple states right and then after a few years in the mid 2000s right and um you know it it was aired on cable television so there there was a little bit of a uh, you know peak in the popularity at the time they were dubbed into hindi and tamil and you know some of these languages then a few years back right with bts and kpop and youtube and all of that becoming more accessible there was even more like more of a peak so i would say that squid game parasite being landmarks i'm not too sure but they're definitely very recognizable uh, pieces of media in this ongoing you know when we're talking about a wave you have the peak and then the crust so um in 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 that wave format right so they're there somewhere at the peak but i would say that this is this has been ongoing for nearly two decades now um and I, it's it's not like uh it's not like it arrived just now but um talking about their social significance or their tropes of storytelling i would say that that and you know going into your second part of the question also that are they becoming more for a global audience i would say if you take squid game if you take parasite if you take any of the other things that became so popular even um korean some korean pop in a way right all of these are very uniquely korean and they have very uniquely korean sensibilities which just uh made a mark with a global audience but they didn't actually change any of this to suit a global audience um but that being said i think there is there is a slight shift um in the way that dramas are produced because of <laughs> what we like to call the netflix effect um yeah right. so you know the multi season uh, format is becoming more popular maybe nirupama can speak more about that but that's um, that's what i think yeah sadhna's right um so one thing about parasite is that uh, we can be sure that that was not made with uh, you know the intention of appealing to a global audience because um the director bong joon ho he's um, known for making movies that prioritize the storytelling in the script um, um more than anything else right he uh, does not shy away from making movies that make people uncomfortable um different sections of people uncomfortable even within his own country um so i think that um you know is definitely not um an example of a movie that was made to um to sort of uh, target a global audience um but the the movie getting recognized um uh, by the oscars um not under the foreign language category but as the best movie um definitely drew attention of the people who weren't paying attention before uh, the people who were very comfortably you know just watching the things that they were familiar with um they started paying attention and noticing that oh there's this whole other world of movies and entertainment that is as good as or you know even maybe better than uh, the mainstream stuff that they were used to which is mostly you know western shows and hollywood movies um and with netflix um making series now 
um, there is definitely some changes, right? Because Netflix is, um, works with that global mindset because they want to make stories that appeal to all the geographies that they're present in. And the success of K-dramas that Netflix produced in so many countries must have definitely, you know, proved to them that um, it is um, it is a very lucrative investment and that trend is just going up. So many more countries are getting interested in this. Um, so the multiple season format, like Sadhana mentioned, might be one change. And, you know, some of the sensitive topics that they may be dealing with, um, which is very reflective of the, the Korean culture and um, the issues in, in South Korea, um, we don't know how much of that, whether they're considering, you know, before they're writing these stories. Um, but yeah, regardless of that, I think it's not just the Netflix series that are getting attention, right? Um, they sort of shine the spotlight on um, some of these more universally appealing shows, uh, but people just started exploring other things, which may not be as um, suited to a Western or universal palette. Yeah, I think the content of the stories is not changing so much, but maybe the format to suit. So if you look at K-dramas, for instance, right, they're like just one season. 16 episodes or 40 episodes or 70 episodes but they don't recur every year right, uh, which yeah. is the format that we are familiar with but that's been increasing in k-dramas of late especially the ones produced by netflix so they have multi-season formats now so i think there's a lot more experimentation happening with the format but the content would i would say still hasn't changed but i think as it grows more popular uh, that's yet to be seen yeah, that was really informative and definitely cleared our thoughts. Sadna, do you think that K-dramas can overtake Japanese anime in a pop culture tussle or is it more of a complimentary sale that lies ahead for them? Japanese anime has been around for a much longer time, right? So even in if you take the 80s, 90s, if you take Sailor Moon and like some of these other things, they were, they're very popular even within Korea. Um, and, you know, there are offshoots of the same sort of Japanese anime style aesthetic in China, which is called, you know, Donghua. And then in Korea, it's called Manhua. Um, so I would say that that's a, an industry <laughs> that kind of keeps giving um, and very different kind of sensibility and a very different kind of audience. So I wouldn't actually compare K-Ramas with anime. But what we did notice is if you know, you as somebody situated outside of these East Asian countries, if you're more familiar with one of them, because you're more, you know, familiar with, let's say, watching Japanese dramas or anime, right, you would be more, um, more comfortable with the idea of exploring something that's also not so familiar to you, in the sense that if you're a fan of anime, you're way more likely to be okay and experiment with watching Korean dramas. Whereas if you're not exposed to any of the sort of entertainment, right, you would have a little bit more hesitation to actually get into dramas, to start watching something that seems so unfamiliar to you at the beginning. Um, you know, you, the language does not sound familiar and all of these things. So I would say that is something that um, we, we spoke to many people and, you know, that was a journey for them in, in the course of the podcast. They first watched anime or they were watching Hong Kong movies and, you know, so then they're like, okay, Korean music or Korean dramas and they sort of got into all of that. 
That's actually a very interesting perspective that you brought into conversation, Sadhna. Moving ahead, uh, are you both into anime or Western or Indian TV shows or movies as well? And if yes, which ones are you most you know comfortable with apart from Korean uh, dramas? Okay, great. Um, so I yes, I used to watch uh, anime while growing up. Now not so much. And I do watch a lot of um, Western shows. So not just English language shows, but a few like Danish shows or um, I would watch some shows from Australia, stuff like that. Indian shows, not so much. Now I would say I prefer the Korean entertainment, but I also watch, you know, Japanese or Chinese (laughs) kind of, I would say. I've become more used to the East Asian form of entertainment. So I still do watch some English language shows, but not as much as I used to before. Yeah. And in my case, um, it's mostly just K-dramas, I think. Um, There is like one or two, um, you know, shows if I, if somebody really recommends it to me or it's like critically acclaimed um, in in the other language, um, be it Indian shows or um, movies or if it is, you know, Japanese or any other language, then I check them out. Um, But mostly I just watch, um, you know, by default, I watch only Korean shows. Um, And I I think the reason for that is, um, you know, my needs um, for, you know, what what I'm seeking from um, entertainment um, is a feeling of being comforted and, you know, feeling hopeful and, you know, seeing um, human relationships in action and, you know, feeling things, you know, having emotions um, shown on screen in an advanced manner. And all of that is done really well by uh, K-dramas. And usually there are quite a few options at any given time for you, you know, um, and I usually prefer watching dramas after they've completely aired. So like at no point am I waiting uh, with no dramas to watch. Um, I would have at least two, three dramas waiting in my watch list. So yeah, I think my requirements from entertainment, uh, why I seek entertainment is satisfied by K-dramas. I'm actually curious to know, what about you? Like what do you watch apart from K-dramas and K- or like listen to K-pop? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I am very much into TV series and animes and everything. Uh, I have watched a lot of them and like I like them all. I just like consuming content and that too I'm nice. such a varied you know the contents are very various and like very varied and like very distinctive as well. So that interests me a lot. So I like consuming all of them. Yeah and uh, I'm not much of a movie person so recently Astra has been recommending me uh, some series so we try to explore whatever we can. Okay, so moving on with the next question. Research is the way forward when it comes to bringing up a dynamic series such as Hello Hello. We would love to know how the both of you went about approaching a diverse panel of academicians, translators, coding content producers, and especially the fellow fans whose personal anecdotes have surely played significant roles in the making of the series. Um, yeah, so when we sort of wanted to do this um this podcast series, our idea was to um, introduce some nuance into the conversations that were surrounding the popularity of Korean entertainment. Um, So we felt like um, 
more people who are fans need to be spoken to uh, to really understand like why are they watching it um, instead of people looking at it from the outside and making assumptions yeah so that's that's the reason why we wanted to do the podcast so because of that we really wanted to ask very important questions and address some of the um, some of the topics that are usually not looked into to be able to do that we uh, needed to speak to a diversity of people so we did a lot of research we did um, a lot of reading actually sadhna has is really interested in fan studies as a subject and she's been reading quite a bit about hallyu so there was a there was a lot of uh, reading that we started with and uh, to sort of back that up to get um, you know expert opinion on that and to hear from academics who are currently researching this to be reached out to academics and it helped that we were already interested really interested in this subject we were uh, sort of geeking out about it so um we reached out to um quite a few people some of them were available some of them weren't um so that was the you know the research and academic side of things uh, but in addition to that um we really wanted to speak to different kinds of fans and when we say different kinds of fans we wanted to cover people who aren't just you know very conveniently chosen which is what happens when uh, you read articles about popularity of uh, korean wave um, you know you speak to like a very homogeneous set of people who who are all from the same social setting or you yeah, know right. um, all women um, all teenagers or um, you know that sort of like a thing or you know mostly from delhi and bombay that sort of like a um that that that's what we were used to seeing so we wanted to definitely speak to people from the northeast because they've had it for a much longer time so we we did that we consciously um reached out to people that we knew or you know we asked people asked around and like then reached out to the people we knew would be able to talk about this and also in addition to that we wanted to um uh, we wanted to do one episode where we talk about how um um you know k dramas and k pop um you know the their the idea of soft masculinity that really comes out in these mediums how that makes it um uh, that could potentially make it more queer friendly and how do um people um uh, from the non binary community how they actually relate to um these these entertainment and um you know what it means to them so we also consciously reached out to people um who identified as non binary and then we were like okay so who are the other people that like the real life people that we know that um we really heard stories about you know their experiences um of watching k drama so uh, being fans of k pop so we wanted to um hear their thoughts so um if you listen to the podcast you know that i spoke to my uncle who's you know um over 50 who's been watching k dramas for much longer than i have Of some fifteen, yeah, sixteen years. Right. Um, yeah, so we really wanted to show that you know K drama fandom or K pop fandom is not this one uh, monolith, which everybody thinks is like okay, only this kind of people like it, or you know everybody likes it for this reason. We wanted to show that it's it's very varied. So here, this is where I think uh, you know we were coming in with our own personal experiences of you know being a fan in different ways. Yeah. um and so you know based on that we reached out to people who kind of could speak to all the different ways of being a fan um and like net was saying not just in the same way um so i think that's uh, that's the research and our 
you know personal lived experiences played a huge part in how we kind of shaped it and also the kind of representation and the kind of um it's a very contested word now but the kind of discourse we wanted to see on this whole topic uh, that also shaped the kind of people that we consciously reached out to yeah i think the best part that i as a listener felt about your podcast series was the way you connected the academic aspect of the theme with your personal experiences and uh, also as nirupama pointed out the conversation you had with your uncle who's been into k dramas for so long turned the entire listening experience into something wonderful and at no point the content seemed heavy to consume so kudos to you too for managing that so well now moving ahead uh, as super fan journalists what are some of the learning and unlearning experiences that stayed with you throughout the you know making of that entire series i think there were a lot of things but um maybe just to be precise what surprised me was just how connected people were to this right and in in all the different ways that in which they were connected and i think over the course of doing this entire podcast it it took us almost 6 months of spending every single second of free time on this you know across different time zones and coordinating and we both work full time elsewhere right i think it also reinforced how much all of this means or you know meant to us at mentally me at a certain point of time um when when you're just you know living day to day you you kind of don't tend to think about it so much but doing this podcast and you know bringing all of these experiences um, really brought that to light um so i was i was actually i thought i knew but then i was actually surprised by that uh personally for me i was just really happy that finally <laughs> you know um a lot of people were interested in this topic and it gave me the opportunity to um to break the stereotypes and to really like deep dive and say um hey a lot of you have been stereotyping this for a long time um but guess what it's not what you thought it is <laughs> so <laughs> yeah that way um yeah i really liked the experience of working on this that was an interesting intake we love to hear that nirupama there is often a discourse that india being a culturally diverse country cannot afford to export its culture discreetly given the intersections there and as well however you have tried to unwrap the diversity that lies beneath the so called homogeneous nature of kpop tell us something about that and how one recognizes this um yeah so we did um like you pointed out we did um sort of ask ourselves this question we didn't completely answer but we wanted to just uh, wonder out loud whether um, something of similar nature could happen in india where like there is this one um this one thing um you know like this idea of indian entertainment that could be packaged and exported the way a lot of alu was um so yeah i think definitely the case of india is different because of how widely diverse it is um but um one thing that cannot happen is this sort of like packaging it uh, together like everything together in like that one under that one umbrella of indian entertainment um but i think in many ways right now um 
regional cinema um, from other parts of india which is not just bollywood is sort of uh, gaining some recognition um so that kind of thing i think um, will continue to happen um and if india undertakes can exercise to sort of do this cultural export it's important for us to make sure that we retain that diversity and we don't present this one like paint this one homogeneous picture of what it is to be um indian or you know what 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 indian sensibilities are and things like that um because it's that's already the case right when you speak when you speak to people from other countries uh, people already have um very skewed understanding of uh, what it means to be indian um so that that's that's a very unique and a very big um, um challenge that india would face if we were to go ahead and do something like this um but with korea i think one thing that i i find interesting is um you know even though it's a small country and not um, as diverse as um india is um they still manage to bring out through the stories that they tell um like really authentic stories um featuring characters from different parts of korea where you know the the language is different uh, they speak in satari and they show differences between seoul and the rest of the country and you know the difference in sensibilities the difference in the food that they eat and all of that um they and they manage to do that uh, purely because they they have a good ecosystem where you know there are different kinds of writers there's a whole lot of opportunity a huge quantity of entertainment that's being created and you know there's investment in it and there are producers so all kinds of stories um, are getting written um so just through that opportunity to showcase different kinds of stories um they are managing to capture these smaller nuances and differences that exist within korea that's actually so amazing to hear nirupama you did answer this really really beautifully and yeah uh, it's really really important that you know when it comes to india exporting culture we need to take care and take into aspect the diversity that lies within the country so yeah moving ahead particularly in the context of k dramas cultural similarities have genuinely helped south asian audiences resonate with characters on screens however how according to you sadhna have this set of audience perceived the portrayal of soft masculinity in uh, k dramas and k pop so i would say that um the more exposure you you have to something like this uh, the more accepting or you know the more familiar you become with uh, what it means to be um, quote and quote like a you know all of this soft masculinity that that we are seeing in some of these media to give you an example um one of my cousins like one of much younger cousin is um she's based in the us and you know she's also a fan of k pop and so maybe 3 or so years ago my aunt she called me up and she's like you know what is this what's going on she has all of these men in makeup on her walls what's happening to her why do people like this and that that was a very amusing conversation i had with her but fast forward 3 years i had a conversation with the same aunt and now she's like you know that's just part of their culture uh, wearing makeup does not mean that they're effeminate right and so they're actually very conventionally attractive in their own country that's just korean culture and i was shocked as like okay 
Hmm, I remember our previous conversation, but cool. So you know, just yeah. just by virtue of the fact that her daughter probably continued to educate her, right? Yeah. Um, so that there was a change. But in general, I think if they can look past the fact how they present themselves, like in terms of you know the style. I think the fact of their emotionality is something that we can easily resonate to because if you look at um some indian movies you know we do have the ultra macho side of things but then mm-hmm. we also have stars who who do portray emotions who who do cry which is not something you may see in english movies for instance so that that connect i think with this side of soft masculinity is way more uh, accessible Yeah, Sadhna. Thank you. That was extremely insightful. Nirupama, do you feel that the Indian audience, specifically men, have somewhat shown a certain level of reluctance when it comes to engaging with the Korean content because of how it addresses masculinity, which is quite different from what the ideal man is supposed to be like? Um. Yeah. Anecdotally, in my experience, I have um. listen like i've heard people say things like oh they all look the same or you know they all look like girls um you know that that sort of very dismissive insensitive remarks in uh, from the people i've met men that i've met um but not so much recently and i don't know uh, if that's uh, that's reflective of the change in the kind of men i've been interacting with or if it's just you know change in you know maybe more people are now exposed to this kind of entertainment and therefore um men are less closed off uh, i i don't know um but just to be able to answer this we also had this question in mind when we were making the podcast and just to get some more clarity we did uh, talk to somebody who's a scholar um in mizoram university and he'd written an article about this you know about soft masculinity and uh, he's from the northeast uh, right so he he wrote about it from that perspective you know about men in northeast and how um it used to be very common for men to just you know dismiss this as too gay or something like that but he shared that some of this might be changing as it becomes more and more popular um yeah that's really interesting and uh, moving ahead sadhna what lies ahead for hello hallyu in the coming years um so i think we're trying to continue our efforts of really sort of covering the hallyu fandom um so the first effort was the podcast and so um picking up from where that left off we're going to dive deeper into some of the conversations because you know it was a podcast for the general audience we had to package it in a certain way but there are some fascinating conversations that we had with some of our guests that didn't make it into the podcast and that we still think would be interesting for people who are into hallyu um so we're yeah. hoping to kind of dive deeper into that in the form of a newsletter um audio newsletter mix so that's going to be the next thing uh, that we're going to be working on that would be wonderful i'll definitely sign up for it yeah thank you that's very interesting please do tell your friends yeah yeah and your sister yeah. and her friends we will definitely <laughs> Moving on to our last question, Nirupama, what's your message to the fans and listeners out there? Ah, okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, not to be preachy, uh, you know, just a few um, few things that we've realized while doing the podcast. Um, 
was that you know there's like a whole diversity of uh, you know fans so when you're trying to understand fandom um even though you know we put a lot of things uh, together under the umbrella of hallyu uh, we cover everything i mean usually people talk about hallyu they talk about um, everything starting from um korean dramas to kpop and uh, korean beauty and um, even korean food now so um well a lot of that um, is usually bunched up and understood as one thing um there is there are so many different kinds of fans who seek out um, who are you know fans of um these things um because of different reasons and while talking to the people that we spoke to and even after that like right now i'm taking korean classes uh, because one of the episodes we did on translation and learning the language really made me uh, feel like i was missing out so in the in the korean class i see like the the reasons why people are learning and you know what they are fans of it's it's very different even within such a uh, small class of maybe 20 25 people so it's important for people who are fans um, as well as people who are not fans like who are looking at it externally um to not just bunch it up and understand try to understand this as you know one phenomenon which has like one explanation um it's it's much more nuanced um, than that and i think it's important for us to continue to do that and also uh, recognize that even within this fandom right like um we are we are huge fans of hallyu and we will continue to be um but that doesn't mean that we'll just be fans who are unquestioningly supporting um everything about the the kind of fandom i think it's important for us to um continue to be um critical in the way we relate to these things um message to listeners would be yeah i think the same don't 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 stereotype um and also i would say don't confuse media with real life which is something i don't fully blame fans either because it's really 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 easy to do that because you you're watching them for so long you're watching these dramas these people their so called authentic behind the scenes lives for hours on end right but it's still something that they're doing for money it's a persona that we're looking at right and what we're looking at in these dramas what we're watching and what we're listening to is an entertainment industry of a country the country itself is way more complex and complicated and it has an entire history and people that we need to be respectful of at the end of the day and not just brush over them over our fandom and the people that we are fans of which is something that tends to happen unfortunately very often so i would say that just ps korea is a real country hallyu is media that we consuming so just making the lines very clear i think that would be uh, very good to draw those boundaries that was so on point and really added to our perspectives well with that we come to the end of the episode thanks so much to nirupama and sadhana for this intriguing and stellar talk it was truly a delight to have the both of you with us today thank you so much um, yeah we really enjoyed having this conversation Yeah thank you for all the great questions